Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yahweh is calling on you to be a servant, and the only way to do that is by hearing the divine truth. That's right, folks. Welcome to another hour of Divine Truth Radio. I am your host. My name is Pastor Paul Mullet, and I am the senior pastor at Divine Truth Ministries. Last week, we discussed two nations that changed the world. The beginning of a book that I wrote a while back and is on sale now at divine-truth.org. via the storefront and this afternoon we are going to continue with two nations that changed the world Uh, for those of you who have the book we left off on page number eight last week and we will be getting on page number nine now the good thing about reading from this book is I can actually make any additions and subtractions to it I can also make corrections uh, for a future update which even though I was only eight pages in had several of them I'm hoping that everything is okay sound wise um, we will get on with it um, folks I hope uh, Pastor Steve will be inside the chat room. He has a copy of this book and will be making uh, some statements and things along that line for you if you have any questions in reference to it. But today, uh, we are going to be discussing Chosen for Service, the importance of the historical promises, and we'll be going on through there. So let us go ahead and get into some divine truth. And as we know, divine truth is the word of Yahweh. There is no lie. There is no in-between. There is no gray uh, or shades of gray. There is and there is. And that's all there is to it. It is what Yahweh wants. It is what Yahweh says. And it is what divine truth ministries will bring to you. We bring you nothing but the divine truth. So, chosen for service. Yahweh created, now this is, before. <laughs> see this is the good thing about doing a live show is, is that I can immediately make these corrections. What I'm about ready to say, you need to listen to completely before you start blowing your top. Because I know some people who are going to hear these next five or six words and go, Oh no, blasphemy! Let's not get ahead of ourselves, let's listen to what is stated first before you start going and blowing a gasket. Now, We know for a fact that Yahweh created all the peoples of the earth. This is a fact. This is undeniable. But the story of the true Israelites is a story of a single family, the race of Adam or the Adamic race that Yahweh chose for his service to be the shepherds of men to rule the earth out of all the earth's inhabitants. We know from evidence, archaeological evidence, that these mud subhuman races were here long before the Adamic race was. But we, at least with me, I also believe that there were whites as well. Now, the difference between the whites that I'm talking about and the race of Adam, the race of Adam received the breath of life. They were given the soul. The whites that were here had not had the soul. Okay, well, I go further into that in another one of my books, and I I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I'm sure Steve knows which book I'm talking about, and we'll put it in the chat room for you. 
So, some may assume that Yahweh chose to work with Abraham and his descendants because they are greater than or innately better than other peoples. Well, this is true. But Yahweh also deliberately chose to work with a small group of people, a race or an ethnos, who had no international promises. To me, that kind of sounds like the white race, and I hope it would with you too. But we'll get on to it, and we'll continue, and you'll see the eye-opening words that are within the pages of this book. So let us take a look at what Yahweh stated to ancient Israel. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people. For ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand, and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of the Pharaoh king of Egypt. Now therefore, that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him, and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Deuteronomy 7, 7 through 9. You can also compare that with 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29, if you so desire. Now, Yahweh chose Abraham for a very specific job. But he also tested Abraham to see if he would be faithful to him. As we all know, Abraham passed every test that was ever given to him. Yahweh then began using him because he believed in and trusted his creator, Yahweh. Now, how do we know this? Well, simple. You look in the Bible. The Bible doesn't lie. So, looking into the Holy Scriptures, we read, And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. And let us also look a little bit further, and let us look for what saith the Scripture. Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Romans 4, 3. One one must remember that Yahweh was the one who forged ancient Israel under his careful guidance and his ever-watchful eyes. From 12 racially related tribes or extended families whose ancestors of Abraham, Isaac, and his sons were all directly descended from Adam and Eve, Not some monkey mud race that was here, but from Adam and Eve. And not all the races of this world are privileged to have that lineage. That lineage is is for the Israelite people. The Adamic men and women who have the breath of life. It's not for the kumbaya, love one another, we are all God's people, we are all one, we all bleed red. Nope. Sorry. Eh, wrong answer. That's not what the Bible says. Abraham's extended family then grew into an even greater multitude, the descendants of the 12 sons of Jacob. Yahweh made them into a nation and thus entered into a covenant relationship with them. Collectively, they became known as Israel, the sons of Israel, or the children of Israel. Jacob was given this name until Yahweh changed it to Israel, when Yahweh began his work with Jacob. And seeing how this relationship was working together, the name Israel literally means one who prevails with God, or a prince of God. So as we see, the name is very fitting. Genesis 32, 24 through 30. Israel's descendants were also widely known as the seed or seed line of Abraham, the house of Israel, the house of Jacob, or even just simply Jacob. 
and then by their individual tribe names of Reuben, Simon, Levi, Judah, Zebulon, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Benjamin, and finally Joseph. The patriarch, this word is derived from the Greek patriarchate, meaning chief or father of the family, a compound of patria, meaning family, and archien, meaning to rule. Jacob later adopted Ephraim and Manasseh, his grandsons, through his son Joseph, as his own sons in regard to this inheritance. As a result of this action, the nation of Israel has historically been said to consist of either 12 or 13 tribes. But that is dependent upon whether the descendants of Joseph are counted as one tribe, the tribe of Joseph, or two tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. As Yahweh continued his work with Abraham, he expanded the series of covenant commitments between them and, in turn, Israel. These commitments were based on the most important and far-reaching series of promises and prophecies ever delivered by Yahweh to any one human or one Israelite. The later prophets of Israel Yahshua's apostles and Yahshua himself all regarded these promises as the foundational system of their work. Acts 3.13 and 25. Now let's notice what Yahweh told the patriarch of the Israelite nation Abraham. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the Israelite families of the earth be blessed. Genesis 12, 2 through 3. And you can also reference 1818, 2218, 264, and 2814. Now, a note. I read you these verses and I substituted all families of the earth be blessed because I believe that is an error one must realize that the Bible the Holy Scriptures is a book to Israel about Israel for Israel which means it is only for the Caucasian races it is not for all the families I believe that is a gross error in the King James Bible and as such I placed Israelites there because that is exactly who the Holy Scriptures are to, for, and about. There is no denying that. Throughout the entire Bible, it is the Israelites. It's not the Jews. In all of Genesis, you won't find the word Jew because it's not a book about the Jews. It is a book about the Israelites, the Caucasian men and women, and that's that. The most important blessings ever to be made, the one made available to all the Israelite nations through Abraham's seed line that were later learned from the apostles is the blessing of eternal life through Yahshua the Messiah. Acts 3 25 through 26, Galatians 3, 7 through 8, verse 16 and 19. Through his mother, Mary, or Miriam, Yahshua was, was born an Israelite, not a Jew as is commonly taught within the serpent seed line Christianity beliefs and theological societies of today. Serpent seed line, i.e., the viperous, venomous Jew. So, Yahshua was born an Israelite of the nation tribe of Judah, a descendant of Abraham. Hebrews 7.14 His sacrifice opened the door to the Israelite people of all the Israelite nations to enjoy a relationship with the Elohim of Abraham, Yahweh. 
this relationship is extremely limited. It's limited in its scope and it's limited to its people that will have this relationship. There is neither ethnos Israelite nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then ye then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to that promise. Galatians 3, 28-29 Once again, a slight change because it's not Jew as is quoted in the King James but the ethnos Israelite. Thus from the beginning of Yahweh's interaction with Abraham, it becomes increasingly clear that Yahweh's objective is to make salvation available to the white Israelite nations of the world and to the Israelite white nations alone, not the subhuman races that are out there now that are actually superseding Yahweh's chosen people and becoming uh, majorities instead of remaining subservient minorities. The Holy Scriptures reveals many, many, many more details of how Yahweh will fully implement his plan. But the foundation of this is found within the pages of Genesis with the promises that were given unto Abraham in his seed line. Now, folks, it was seed line. It didn't say everybody. It didn't say to all the people, to all the kumbaya, let's all hold hands together. No. It was stated directly to Abraham and his seed, his progeny, his seed line, i.e., the true Israelites of the Bible, the white Caucasian nations of the world, the white Caucasian people of this world who have received the breath of life. It does not say once again to, unto Abraham and all people. It is just his seed line, his progeny. The Holy Scriptures reveals many aspects of Yahweh's master plan for the salvation of the race of Adam, the Israelites. The spiritual dimensions of his promise to Abraham is but only one part in a much bigger story. We are physical beings, and as such, we function in a physical world. Therefore, Yahweh often achieves his spiritual goals through physical means such as giving or taking away the physical blessings or using the principles of rewards for good behavior and punishment for the bad behavior of the Israelite people. We need to find out why Yahweh promised to make Abraham a great nation Genesis 12 2 there is a problem in the modern students if that's what you wish to call them of theology and of the Holy Scripture studies with their failure to understand the importance of this great physical promise detractors of the Holy Scripture simply ridicule it altogether because they think the people of Israel never amounted to to anything more than a few tribes of insignificant kingdoms at the eastern end of the Mediterranean Sea. But friends, they are so very, very wrong. Modern theological studies, serpent, seedline Christianity, at its best. Yahweh doesn't lie, Titus 1-2. He keeps all of his promises, no matter how small they are, because even those turn into something spectacular in the end. We will soon see just how and why Yahweh has fulfilled this particular promise of greatness to Abraham. Welcome to the school of biblical divine truth, something that modern churches will never deliver. The promises of a great nation and the material blessings 
from the 12th chapter in the book of creation, better known as Genesis, through the 22nd, there are seven passages that describe the promises that Yahweh gave and reconfirmed to confirm again also to establish more strongly to Abraham. In this first accounting, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, Yahweh told Abraham to leave his homeland and family. This was the first of many tests or conditions that Abraham had to meet prior to his receiving the promises from Yahweh. When Abraham willingly obeyed the commands of Yahweh, he then promised to make his name great. His progeny, his seed line, his offspring, would also become great as well. As we will see, the end results of this promise would rank among the world's greatest and most significant historical developments. A few verses later, Yahweh appeared unto Abram. Note, I have been using Abraham so far, but his name had not been changed during this period of time. It was Abram. And then promised his descendants the land of the Canaanites. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Shidman, unto the plain of Morah. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give thee this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. Genesis 12, 6-7 There is no doubt, or shouldn't be any doubt, that when Yahweh gave his promise to, promises to Abraham, that this included both the physical and the material possessions. Genesis 13 provides us with much more information in regards to the promises of Yahweh. After the account of Abraham's willingness to grant the fertile plain that was adjacent to the Jordan River to his nephew, Lot, Genesis 13, 5 through 13, Yahweh in turn promised all of the land of Cana to Abraham forever, verses 14 through 17, indicating that the chronological and eternal aspects of his promise were closely related. Abraham was still without child. Yahweh still promised that his descendants would be counted, and I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth, so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Genesis 13:16. The immense scope of this promise, the limitless expansion of Abraham's descendants, should not be taken at all lightly. As we will see, it had, and still has, enormous implications. Roughly a decade later, Yahweh once again appeared to Abraham via a vision. Abraham, at this time, was still without offspring. Yahweh still once again promised Abraham an heir. And this heir, said Yahweh, and behold, the word of the Lord come unto him, saying, This shall not be thine heir. But he that shall come forth out of thine own bowels shall be thine heir. Genesis 15:4. An incredible multitude of a race would develop from that single heir, Isaac. Once again, race, Israelites. And he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars, If thou be able to number them, and he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. Genesis 15:5. What and how did Abraham respond to this? And he believed in the Lord, and he counted it to him for righteousness. Genesis 15:6. So even after all this time of not having a child and Yahweh promising an heir, he continued to have faith in his Lord. He continued to have faith in the Elohim. With Abraham's confidence that he could trust Yahweh to keep his word, even far into the future, was one of the reasons why Yahweh loved Abraham. Yahweh chose him 
to be not only the father of great Israelite nations, but, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Romans 4.11 Yahweh was working out several roles for the ever-faithful Abraham. A few verses later, Yahweh promised him not only innumerable descendants, but also a territory stretching. In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Genesis 15:18. This vast tract of land or territory covered much more than the original lands of Cana or of Canaan that Yahweh had originally promised. Genesis 12, 6 through 7. 17.8 and 24.7 As Abraham continually demonstrated his undeniable faithfulness, Yahweh as a result expanded the scope of the promise he had made to Abraham. They involved much more than what Yahweh had originally revealed to, his, to this faithful man. The most detailed accounting of this expanded promises are found within Genesis 17. I'm going to read you the first eight verses. And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me, and be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many Israelite nations. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham. For a father of many Israelite nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee and kings shall come out of thee and I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee and I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God Genesis 17 1 through 8 as with earlier statements of this promise Yahweh's blessings unto Abraham was still very conditional and based on Abram's continued obedience and commitment to him maturing spiritually here Yahweh once again reminds him of this by saying, And when Abram was ninety years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Genesis 17.1 You also can compare that with Matthew 5.48 You must remember that a very important part of Yahweh's promise was to significant significantly multiply Abraham's seed line, his progeny, or the descendants, as it were, whichever one you prefer. Here Yahweh emphasizes this yet to be a reality by renaming the patriarch of Israel. Up to this point in the history of Abraham, he had been known as Abram. Yahweh now told him, Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many Israelite nations have I made thee. Genesis 17.5 As we stated earlier, Abram has a meaning of exalted father, while the name Abraham 
has a meaning of father of a multitude. As to drive the point home, Yahweh elaborated on the aspects of his promise. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. Genesis 17.6 This once again proven within the Holy Scriptures just a few verses later. And God, said, and God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai, thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Genesis 17, 15 through 16. Yahweh continues in Genesis 17, verses 8 through 9, when he says, And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore thou and thy seed after thee, in their generations. The account of Genesis 17 clearly establishes Yahweh's commitment to Abraham as an everlasting or an eternal covenant. If you need proof, see verses 7, 13, and 19 again. A binding agreement, as it were, thus obligated obligating Yahweh to grant the patriarch's descendants, his seed line once again, the land of Canaan and perpetuity or the quality, state, or duration of a being perpetual devised to them in perpetuity the condition of a future estate limited in such a way as not to vest within the period fixed by the law or for the vesting of an estate also a limitation which gives rise to such a situation an estate that will not vest within the period fixed by law see also rule against perpetuities statutory rule against an annuity payable forever that's the definition I probably should have stated that first but yeah well it is what it is Genesis 17, 8. Yahweh's commitment to Abraham was vast and far-reaching. The sixth accounting of Yahweh's promise unto Abraham appears to us in Genesis 18 and is held within the setting just prior to the heavenly termination of the sin-infested anti-Yahweh cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abraham's angelic messengers with news about the divine truth of punishment to fall upon these two tra travesties of cities, only reconfirmed the long-anticipated and soon incoming birth of his son to the 99-year-old Abraham and of his wife Sarah, but only 10 years his junior. Genesis 18, 10-14. With Yahweh promising that he would not hide his intentions from Abraham, Genesis 18:17 and Amos 3:7 the angelic messengers then visited the aged Abram and reaffirmed again the promises that Abraham would surely be a great and mighty nation a physical material and national commitment of an immeasurable scope they also reconfirmed the messianic promise that Yahweh from Yahweh that seeing that Abram or Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the Israelite nations of the earth shall be blessed in him Genesis 18:18 18, 18. Abraham had proven himself faithful to Yahweh and as a result about a year and a half after the above mentioned Sarah gave birth to Isaac Genesis 21:1 through 3 Yahweh had proven his faithfulness to his commitment to Abram. But herein comes the ultimate test of Abraham. In Genesis 22, 
we find the completion of these seven accounts of Yahweh's promises. Here also lies one of the most momentous events held within the Holy Scriptures. In probably the greatest of accounts, we see Abraham's willingness to sacrifice his son Isaac. As it foreshadows the foundational event of Yahweh's plan to offer his salvation to all Israelites. Yahweh's willingness to offer to us his only son, Yahshua the Messiah, as a sacrifice. John 3:16 through 17. As I stated earlier, Yahweh's promise were dependent upon Abraham's unconditional and continued obedience, Genesis 12:1 and 17:9. But we see that after the events of Genesis 22, Yahweh transformed his covenant with Abraham by elevating it to a new level. Given Abraham's unwavering faith, why wouldn't Yahweh make this covenant greater? So Yahweh commanded Abraham to take his son Isaac, the son of the promise, Romans 9, 9, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on Mount Morah, Genesis 22, 2. Abraham's supreme test of his faith had finally arrived. During this time period in Abraham's life, he had already learned to trust in Yahweh unconditionally. He long ago experienced Yahweh's wisdom, truth, love, and faithfulness. He then, as we know, proceeded to do as he was commanded, only to be miraculously stopped at that particular moment he would have slain his son. Genesis 22, 9-11 We can learn several profound lessons from this incident. First, Yahweh, whether in ancient times or current times, has never sanctioned worshiping worshiping him with a human sacrifice. Nor would he ever wish this to happen. Second, Yahweh prohibited Israel from practicing or following the pagan practices or rituals of offering their firstborn child as a sacrifice to false idols and gads or gods. Human sacrifice was part and parcel of the Mesopotamian society from which Abram was called as well as the nations that were around him but Yahweh made sure his faithful servant would not actually slay his son although Abraham did not know in advance that Yahweh would stay his hand in the next verse Yahweh's word reveals what he really wanted to find out about Abraham and he said lay not Lay not thine hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Genesis 22:12. In his unconditional willingness to obey his Elohim, Yahweh, Abraham had once again proven that he would relinquish that which was most precious to him, his only heir. Genesis 22:16, And it's the same for Yahweh and John 3:16. Yahweh did not, nor would he ever want Abraham's son as a sacrifice. He did want to know unconditionally if Abraham trusted him enough to make the hardest choice Yahweh could place before him. As we know, Abraham passed the test. My question to you is, are you passing the test that Yahweh is placing in front of you? Think about it. Abraham's behavior thus demonstrated he was a man fit for the role of father of all those who believe.
Romans 4, 11 through 12, Galatians 3, 9, and Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. That he was the only suitable founder of the family of countless descendants who would become the race of Yahweh. Genesis eighteen nineteen. Yahweh could not complete the plan he set forth via Abraham without involving the problem of human sin. And that problem would later require the sacrifice of our Redeemer, Yeshua the Messiah, the one and only Lamb of Yahweh. John 1, 29. Now at this particular moment in time, Yahweh's promises to Abraham, both the physical and spiritual, have become unconditional his words and said by myself have I sworn saith the Lord for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son thine only son Genesis 22:16, shows us that the fulfillment of the promises no longer will be dependent on Abraham the fulfillment of the promises would now depend solely on Yahweh himself he unconditionally committed himself to bring all of his promises to Abraham and his descendants. Yahweh thus put his own truthfulness and integrity on the line with these commitments. He also unconditionally bound himself to bring forth all of his promises to pass on in all their details. Because we now have a better understanding of the unconditional nature of Yahweh's promises, we have a much better picture of what to look for through the history concerning the descendants of ancient Israel. Since Yahweh cannot annul his promises to Abraham because he will not break his word, Numbers 23, 19. Every single detail in his promises becomes a guide in our personal search for the identity of the lost tribes of Israel after their exile. I am referring to the ten tribes, as we know of the location of the other two. Genesis 22 concludes with our Lord Yahweh restating the central elements of his commitment to Abraham that in blessing I will bless thee and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven thy seed listen to that one more time I will multiply thy seed not everybody's seed but thy seed as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore and thy seed, once again, thy seed, not all seed, thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Genesis twenty-two seventeen. These national, physical, and material blessings continue as clues to the true identity of Abraham's modern descendants or seed line. Yahweh thus continued, And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. Genesis 22:18. The Apostle Paul, while commenting on this verse, made centuries later in Galatians 3:16, explains that this promised blessing refers to Yahshua the Messiah. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, as of many, referring to Abraham's seed as many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Notice that he does not say seeds, more than one, in reference to Abraham, but rather to one seed through Yahshua the seed of Abraham Yahweh would make salvation available to the seed line of Abraham a common misconception among the Judeo-Christian community is that this is to all of humanity 
which this verse clearly does not state. Genesis 22:18 and Galatians 3:16. The promises that were made to Abraham, Yahweh also made available to those in his subsequent generations. Isaac had this reconfirmed covenant by Yahweh in Genesis 26, 1 through 5, and subsequently to his son, Abram, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, in Genesis 27, verses 26 through 29, 28, verses 1 through 4, 10 through 14, 35, verses 9 through 12. Now, via Jacob, Yahweh thus passed the national and material aspects of his promises or his covenant onto the descendants of Abraham's great-great-grandsons, which are known as Ephraim and Manasseh, the sons of Joseph, reference Genesis 48, 1-22. The Holy Scriptures records in some great detail, and sometimes not, how these promises or covenants of blessings pass from generation to generation is yet more evidence that Yahweh's covenant with Abraham includes the physical, material, and national aspects outside of the vitally important messianic or primarily means of the Messiah, a religious savior in the Abrahamic true biblical Israelite religions or prophecies. Yahweh's promise unto Isaac that sojourn in this land and I will be with thee and I will bless thee for unto thee and unto thy seed once again seed not seeds multiple but one I will give all these countries and I will perform the oath which I swear unto Abraham thy father and I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven and will give unto thy seed all these countries and in thy seed shall all the Israelite nations of the earth be blessed. Genesis 26, 3 through 4. And this implies a great material blessing. See, Yahweh also promised unto him, as he did with Abraham, almost limitless descendants, telling him that his descendants would, and I will make thy seed to multiply as the stars of heaven, and will give unto thy seed all these countries, and in thy seed shall all the Israelite nations of the earth be blessed. Genesis 26, 4. Now, in here, I wrote, please read the following very carefully. So, I want you to listen very carefully. This promise would be fulfilled by the time the several million true biblical Israelites reached Mount Sinai under Moses' direction, given from Yahweh, and leadership, and also later at the time of Solomon, Deuteronomy 1.10, Kings 4, 20 through 21. Moses himself knew that the blessings of great multitudes were to be multiplied many times over what had already occurred by this time. Reference Deuteronomy 1.11. So now we're going to talk about the birthright and the blessing of Jacob. The physical blessings that were passed down to Isaac, normally as the tradition of its age, would have been passed to the firstborn son of Isaac, thus Esau, Genesis 25:21-26. However, Jacob, the younger of the twin brothers, persuaded Esau, Esau to sell his birthright. This word denotes the special privilege and advantages belonging to the firstborn son among the Israelites. He became the priest of the family to him for a simple meal of stew. Genesis 25, 29-34 To obtain the blessing of the birthright from his father, albeit falsely, Jacob res uh, resorted to tricking 
the blind and aged Isaac into believing that he, Jacob, was indeed Esau, the true heir. Genesis 27, 18-27 Unknown to Jacob at that time, this event was not needed. Yahweh had already revealed, even long before the births of Jacob and Esau, that it would be Jacob that would be the stronger of the two, and that Esau would, in the end, be the subservient to Jacob. Genesis 25:23. Yahweh allowed Jacob to receive the right by birth promise that he would be the family patriarch and he would receive the best of the family inheritance granted by his father without intervening to change the circumstances. All part of Yahweh's master plan. Yahweh would eventually teach Jacob to cease trusting in his own deceitful devices. All children must be taught this at some point in their life. The blessing that Isaac pronounced upon Jacob was, Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of the corn and wine. Let people serve thee and nations bow down to thee. Be Lord over thy brethren, and let thy mother's son bow down to thee. Cursed be every one that curseth thee, and blessed be he that blesseth thee. Genesis 27, 28-29 These were certainly not idle words, as some would like to think. Isaac was officially transferring onto Jacob the awesome promises that Yahweh had made unto Abraham. Later, Yahweh, through a dream, confirmed unto Jacob that he would receive the birthright promise. Yahweh also revealed to him that his descendants, or his seed line, numbering as the dust of the earth, would, and I quote, and he dreamed and beheld a ladder set up to the heaven, and the top of it reached to heaven, and behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father, and the God of Isaac, and the land whereon thou liest to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the Israelite families of the earth be blessed. Genesis 28, 12-14 now, in subsequent chapters, we will show you how this prophecy has been fulfilled and in a truly amazing way. Held within Genesis 35, we encounter yet another aspect of the birthright promise. Here we see that Yahweh had promised Jacob and God said unto him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply, a nation and a company of nations shall be of thee, and kings shall come out of thy loins. Genesis thirty-five eleven. Understanding key prophecies starts with the knowledge of this aspect of Israel's inheritance. The birthright promise would be granted by two separate national entities. We read in Genesis 48 that Jacob transferred or passed on his part of Yahweh's promise to Abraham and Isaac, unto Joseph, and unto his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. During the same time, Jacob placed upon these two grandsons his own name. The angel which redeemed me from all evil blessed the lads. And let my name be named on them, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. 
Genesis 48, 16. As an end result of this, many of the later references to Jacob or Israel in the prophetic books, there are 16 prophetical books of the Old Testament. The prophets are people who God raised up to speak his will to his people between 760 B.C. and 460 B.C. And all 16 of the prophetical books can be fitted into that 300-year period from 760 to 460. That's just a little side note for you. Of the Holy Scriptures refer primarily to these two branches of Jacob's descendants, or his seed line. Seed line, folks. Not seed lines. And it's always been thy seed, his seed, not multiple seeds as Judeo-Christianity would like you to think. It's actually quite easy. Read your scriptures. It's there. It does not say multiple seed lines. It says seed line. It says thy seed, his seed. Not with an S, meaning multiple, but meaning one seed line. Jacob's blessing, as we know, also included land or a national territory that in turn his two grandsons, descendants or his seed line, would inherit for an everlasting possession. They would also grow into and said unto me, Behold, I will make thee fruitful and multiply thee, and I will make thee a multitude of people Israelites, and will give this land to thy seed, or seed line, after thee for an everlasting possession. Genesis 45, 4. We can see the remarkable promises that Jacob's descendants, his seed line, more specifically those who would spring forth from Ephraim and Manasseh would grow into, and his father refused and said, I know it, my son. I know it. He also shall become a people, Ephraim. And he also shall be great. But truly his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his seed shall become a multitude of nations. A multitude of nation. Manasseh. Genesis 48, 19 and a single great nation, respectively. Joseph and his descendants would not, however, gain all of the aspects of this promise. One important spiritual aspect of the promise would go to Judah. Yahweh, via Jacob, gave the prophecy that the scepter, or sceptre, the ruler's staff, shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Genesis 49, 10. This prophecy pointed to both the destiny of Israel's future king, that of David, and to the role of Yahshua, also of the house or the tribe of Judah, and a direct descendant of David, as the Messiah, Luke 1.32, Hebrews 7.14, Revelation 5.5. We who have the faith know that Yahshua the Messiah is destined to rule the earth as a king of kings. Revelation 11.15, 17.14, In stark contrast, the birthright promise of the physical, material, and national greatness went not to Judah, but to Joseph bypassing the firstborn son, Reuben. Let's take a moment and look at the circumstances that routed this great promise into Joseph's hand. Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but for as much as he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel. And the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright. For Judah prevailed above his brethren, and of him came the chief ruler. But the birthright was Joseph's. 
1 Chronicles 5, 1 through 2. With this birthright promise, Joseph's descendants, which are Ephraim and Manasseh, were thusly to receive this blessing of wealth, power, and national prominence. Until next week, Yahweh bless. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.